Hello and welcome to this episode of the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Pfeiffer, naturopathic doctor. Today I have a really exciting and different episode for you. I am talking to my friend, Laura Skelmos, all about business and leveling up your business as an entrepreneur. And specifically, I want to know about being a healthpreneur and leveling up your business. Um, so Laura, hi. Thank you hi. for being here and talking to me. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Good, good. Good. So tell me about from a business perspective, because I know you wear a lot of hats. So today we're talking about uh, the business side of things, the sales side of things. So what do you do and how do you help as a business coach? How did you start? Give me all the kind of lowdown on that. Yeah, for sure. So I I consider myself a sales coach and trainer. And what I do is I help help businesses or individuals within businesses with their sales strategy. And how I got involved in this was actually somewhat out of like luck or chance because in my corporate career, um, I had been in sales for over 15 years and I had actually stepped away from my corporate corporate sales job to pursue some, um, actually a network marketing business. And when I was working through the, the network marketing business, which happened to be in the health and wellness space and industry, I was getting approached by a lot of other business owners asking me about how I, how I was so successful with my network marketing business. And because of my sales background, I basically told them, a little bit about the training that I had had from my corporate world and then how I incorporated incorporated it into my my own business and they just asked me would you be willing to support me and coach me on sales and selling within my own business and I was kind of like sure yeah. <laughs> and things evolved from there and um the funny thing was is that when I left my corporate job, I was still getting phone calls from many of the sales reps there because often what would happen is, is we'd get a new rep and my manager would actually partner them up with me because I was always so good at explaining the process to them and helping them get started with their career in the profession. So naturally, I just was really good at helping people with sales in their businesses. And that's how I ended up becoming a sales coach and trainer. I love that. And honestly, this is so relevant to um, many of my listeners, patients, and as well as myself, because a lot of people don't know uh, when you become a naturopathic doctor, you learn in school everything to required to become a practitioner and not a thing, not a thing about running a business. Mm -hmm. Um, so after I graduated, I realized, and it, it, because when I'm in, when I was in school, I was so, um, saturated and so overwhelmed with just the schooling. I didn't even really think that when I got out, I would have to, in fact, be a small business and run a small business. And so now I'm a small business owner and that kind of came with a lot of learning and a lot of mistakes. So that's why I'm super excited to talk about this today because I think a lot of people uh, are in the same boat, especially healthpreneurs uh, mm -hmm. in particular. And so lots of people may feel like they don't need a business coach. And so tell me exactly what a business coach actually does for your business. Yeah, for sure. So business coaches, they can do a number of different things. And the great part is that when you decide to work with a business coach, number one, you get to choose who you work with. So I highly recommend that if you're looking at getting a business coach, that you actually interview quite a few of them. Like anyway, a few, um, just to see how they are going to work with you and what it is that they're going to really work with you on. So the way that I work with my clients is that I really work with them on different strategies within their business, plus brainstorming ideas, brainstorming ideas about marketing, about sales, about next steps, and helping them create action plans. But then this is the key the key piece that a coach does is that they provide you with accountability to stick with your plan and your strategy. So 
I know when I started my business, my accountability partner ended up being my spouse. And Mm. my spouse didn't want to be my business coach. (laughs) And and oftentimes it would come up against, for me, it would come up with um, feelings of frustration because yes, he would want to listen to me and, and hear out what I was doing in my business, but he wasn't my business coach. So so it became um, a bit of a challenge because your your spouse sees you in a different way than a coach does. And really, if we think about, it's interesting because I actually have been asked the question, are you a coach or are you a consultant? And the real difference between the two is that a coach helps an individual bring out the best in them. So when I'm coaching with people, it's not necessarily that I'm giving them everything, but I'm actually helping them create it themselves. So I'm not telling you how to run your business, but what we're doing is we're working together to listen to the ideas that you might have for running your business and then creating a path and a plan and then putting accountability on top of that plan. And Honestly, I'm yeah. So, yeah, no, sorry, finish up because so, I'm having so many thoughts by what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and I think really it can be it can be whatever it is that you want it to look like when you work with a coach, but really that's what you're paying for. So I truly believe that we all have access to all of the information that we need to run a business. The challenge is, is that are you willing to actually piece together all of these things that you're learning on podcasts and on YouTube and um, on email lists and all of those things, piece those together yourself, come up with the plan yourself, and then stick to the plan. Um, That's the difference between doing it yourself and hiring a coach to actually work with you. If that makes and I think that's sense. yeah no a hundred percent and I think that's so I had so many thoughts pop in my head and I was just thinking um, the accountability piece people I feel like people underestimate the accountability piece mm-hmm. and I myself have had I I'm one of those people that has so many ideas um, and ninety nine percent of them don't come to fruition because. I just have so many ideas. I almost like one day will sit down and I'll take a piece of paper and I'll write down like 50 ideas Mm -hmm. and then not one of them does anything because I don't know how to start. And I've been doing this and toying with this and um, a lot of – well, people who know naturopathic doctors know that we have pretty strict regulations. So there's things we can't do and things we can do and one of those things that kind of falls in the gray area is building an online program. And so you can do those within a, um, a certain set of, of regulations and some of them are quite tight. So it makes it difficult to kind of just throw together a program. But having said that, I've had a program on the bubble for probably, well, let's say, I would say six months before I got pregnant. That's how long I've had I've had an online program on the bubble. Something that I've half done, I've put ideas into, but I haven't done it because nobody's nobody's given me that accountability. Nobody's given me guidance. I'm kind of like, will anyone like this? Is this a is this something that's even needed? Is this you know what I mean? Yeah, and so when sure. I hear that accountability piece, I'm like, ooh, I really need that. And when you yeah. bring up talking about um, talking to your husband. I totally resonate with that as well because, yes, he cares about me and wants to hear me speak and wants to see me succeed. But no, he's not my business coach and he wants to see my business do well, but doesn't really know how to. So I totally um, I resonate with all of that. Um, And so in your opinion, what are the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs in the health field specifically are making when it comes to marketing their business? So when it comes to the health field, I really think that they're not targeting their niche market properly. Now, I might be speaking complete gibberish to some people, but I feel like what ends up happening is that health in general is such a broad topic. So even if we're looking at um, like holistic nutritionists or, or naturopathic doctors or whatever it is, even if you were to just say, okay, I'm going to focus on healthy eating. 
Well, that is actually a very, very broad topic that you're Mm -hmm. focusing Mm -hmm. on. And what ends up happening is, is that you actually dilute your message when you're being so broad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the biggest challenge is that in a, in marketing, when it comes to the health industry, is that you need to set yourself apart in a very special way in order to really capture the eyes of people, especially for using things like social media and online tools to do our marketing. So that's and so what how. I feel. Yeah. And how do you find your niche? Like tell everyone what is actually, what is a niche? Like talk about what this word is and, and how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So a niche is basically your ideal client. Your niche is who, who do you work with? What is their problem? And what is the problem that you're solving for them? And when you're looking for your niche in the beginning, you might you might not really know. So the way that I always explain to people is that when you're first starting out your business and you're starting to work with clients, think about which of these clients are your favorite clients to work with. Which problems are your favorite problems to solve? Which clients are you are coming away from working with you with the greatest results? And that's how you determine your niche. Now, when you're okay. first starting out, you might have to take on a couple of different customers or a couple of different clients that don't necessarily fit into exactly what it is that you're doing. But I truly believe that when we work in our area of strength or our zone of genius, as people, some people talk about, where that brings us the most joy and brings us the most fulfillment in our job, then we need to do more of that. And that's what it really came down to for me is that I was running my own business that had nothing to do with sales and sales coaching. But what I was finding is that I was getting fired up when I was speaking to people about sales and sales coaching. So I thought, you know what, this is what I need to start really honing in on. And like, if we were to even go deeper into like what my niche is, it's, it is truly my area of where I do the best work. And that's where I get people the best results. So that's when you think about your niche is thinking about what is the problem I'm solving for people? And what is what is giving them the best results? That is your niche market right there. And how do you know if your niche market is too broad? Honestly, if you are, there's no real right answer to this. But if you if you say I help this type of person and I help this type of person, chances are your niche market is too broad. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like I think yeah. it'd be like um, if you were a restaurant and you you were like I serve Thai food and Italian food, <laughs> right? <laughs> like yeah, yeah, that's a very broad niche market, right? Um, so I think the fear that a lot of people have is that if they if they get too specific about who they help, that they will actually reduce the pool of potential people that you yes. are going yes. to help. And I think that's the biggest fear that people have with creating these niche markets. But it's actually the opposite. Because when you become so clear about who it is that you're helping and what problems you're solving, and how you work with them to solve those problems, what happens is, is that you attract the right people to your business. And when you attract the right people to your business, it's a way easier job of doing business. You will actually sell so much more to those people when you get super specific about what it is that you do, because you're not confusing the masses, and you're not trying to compete with all of the other people in the same industry as you. So when you become more specific, you actually will start to attract more of what it is that you want. Yeah. And honestly, I can uh, relate to this on a level of, I mean, being a new practitioner, I started practicing in 2017. And when you get out of school, you're kind of like, well, you're in student debt. You are in Mm -hmm. a position of you're not in a position of power. You are in a position of, I will take whatever I can get and whoever wants to come see me will come see me. And so 
my mindset was, okay, I love treating XYZ. I've always loved treating women's health. I've always loved fixing period problems and getting, um, helping people with their fertility and that sort of picture. Um, but I found myself taking on patients because I just needed patients and, mm-hmm. um, referrals, I would get referrals because people would just be like, oh, she's a naturopath. Go see mm-hmm. her. Oh, she's a natural. Oh, go see her. And I would get a variety of conditions. And not that I didn't like it and not that they weren't lovely patients, but I didn't. And you mentioned getting fired up about it. I didn't get fired up about it. I was very mm-hmm. – I, I not because I didn't like the patient, but just because I just – it wasn't my passion. And I remember having a conversation early on uh, with my dad and with my husband and I remember them saying, well, a patient's a patient. Like you need to make money. You need to pay off your student debt. And then, I mean, I look back now, we're in a few years of practice, and I look back at those patients and I say, those weren't the patients that got me referrals. Those weren't the patients that had great results, that they kept coming back and coming back. And oftentimes, those were the patients that I would see maybe once or twice, and then they would just kind of fall off the map um, for for some reason or or another. And so I'm Mm -hmm. like... When I'm looking at it, even from a financial perspective, it wasn't even beneficial to treat a, a area that I wasn't confident in or that I wasn't passionate in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the beginning, yeah, you're going to have that feeling that I just need to take what I can get. But sometimes what it can even happen is that those patients will actually, or those customers will actually end up costing you more in the long run because they're taking away time and they're taking away potential clients that are going to be that specific niche. They're taking away the space for those clients. And I think the the sooner and the, the, the faster in your business you can determine what it is that it is your niche, the better off you will be. Now, that's not to say that it won't change over time. Because sometimes what happens is is you might think, this is what I really want to do. But then you actually start attracting people who are slightly different. And you start Mm -hmm. to realize that, you know what, it is okay. Those people, I am helping them. It is still filling up my cup. It is giving me that joy in my work and in my business. And then then you shift and you just, you change your niche and you change your marketing. And that's okay. This isn't a static. Business is not static. Business is ever-changing, and as soon as we can wrap our heads around that, what ends up happening is is that we become open to so many more opportunities. And this is, again, something that when you work with a business coach, they can sometimes open your eyes to opportunities that you didn't see because they are looking outside of your business. They are an outside perspective on the big picture of your business. and they're seeing it from more of a client perspective than maybe you are. And they can help you develop those ideas much more clearly for the future. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's so important. I was just, I was just thinking about you talking about it not being static. And I'm one of those people who I see something and I want it to just, I want to just figure it out. And when I figured it out, that's what it's going to be. And I need Mm -hmm. to stick to it because I've committed, like, this is what I'm committing to. And I feel like I'm a very difficult person to change. I'm not very fluid. I'm very type A. I'm very like, this is what it is and this is what it's going to be and that's it. And so I think when it comes to my business, I'm the exact same. And I think it's almost hindered me. And I think a lot of people can probably relate. You start doing one thing and then you you find it hard to pivot because mm-hmm. no one's making you. And so it, you kind of fall into this trap of of doing whatever whatever comes your way instead of kind of changing your focus when you probably should. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And so from when you make plans with clients, do you work on like what does that plan entail? Are you working on website things? Are you working on, like I mentioned, online programs? Are you doing what what type of things are you including in your plan? Honestly, it depends on where where my clients are working. So for the most part, most people are using online spaces or social media spaces to market their business. Now, I want to make something really clear that there is a huge difference between marketing and sales. Mm, marketing okay. marketing is 
marketing is what I consider passive. So marketing is kind of like the handshake to somebody. It's them getting to know you a little bit. It's helping them understand who you are and whether or not they might be a potential customer of yours. That is what marketing is. It's, it's an opportunity for people to really get to know you, to trust that you are an expert in the area that you say you are, and to get them thinking a little bit more about how they might want to work with you to help solve your problems, or sorry, their problems. Mm-hmm. So that's what marketing is. Sales is an active process. So when we go from marketing to sales, we actually have to start asking our potential customers to work with us. And this is where a lot of people get super uncomfortable. So (laughs) um, when I work with my clients, I actually, because you can't have sales without marketing and you can't have marketing without sales if you want to have a successful business. So I actually work with my, my customers for both of these things. And Basically, what I do is I help them understand or help them map out where is their customer starting? So what is the problem that that their potential customer is starting with? And what does the journey, sorry, what is the, um, what is the outcome after they work with you? So Laura, for you, with your potential clients, you might, if you're looking at women's health, you might have an individual who comes to you with a certain subset of problems. And the goal at the end of them working with you is that those problems are no longer part of their life. So the Mm -hmm. marketing has to be targeted towards the problem. And then the sales process is basically helping your customer, your potential customer, understand that working with you is going to get them from point A to point B. And you're basically painting that picture throughout the marketing the marketing process for that customer. And then when you are going through the sales process, and this is where I really help my customers, ultimately what you're doing is you're inviting your customers to another opportunity to interact with you. And through all stages of the process of sales, if you're not inviting to that next interaction with you, then the sale is done. The process is over because sales is asking your customer to buy something or asking your customer to do the next step in the process. And if you're not asking those questions, then what happens is, is that the customer is is basically lost. They don't know what to do next. And what I do for my clients is I help them create that entire process. So I help them with the language around how to invite your customers to that next interaction with you. What is the next interaction? And how do you eventually go about asking your customer to buy what it is that you're selling and then get them into your program or the service that you're providing or the product that you're offering them. And then the sale doesn't end when the customer buys. I truly believe that if you are good at what you do, the sale actually comes even more afterwards because once the customer is purchased, basically what they're saying is that I trust you enough that you are going to help me solve my problem. And now it's your job to make sure that you stay true to your word and actually help them solve their problem. So when I, I hope that answered your question, but when I work with my clients, I create that entire process with them and really make sure that they understand how to take their customer throughout that whole journey. Now, it's great if you only have one customer that you're taking through this journey right? Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is, is that you end up having multiple customers that are in different areas of the the sales process at all times. And every customer might have different objections or fears themselves as to why they can't buy from you. So it's just helping my clients really understand how to have these conversations so that it doesn't feel like an icky, gross thing that a lot of us have have a preconceived idea of what sales is. 
Yeah. And on that exact point, um, many of us, uh, especially healthpreneurs, we got into this business, this industry, this career to help people. And all we want to do is help people. And we didn't really think of anything past that if you are anything like me. Um, So I get into this. How – a lot of healthpreneurs are afraid to sell. A lot of times it does feel icky. Uh, Why do you think this is? Yeah, so there's probably a couple of different reasons behind this, but it really it really is a belief. And I believe that a fear of sales actually comes from something that's been ingrained in us from our past, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're often told that you shouldn't be pushy or you shouldn't ask for too much, or maybe you had a negative interaction with a salesperson and you became... Um, really aware of it and thought to yourself, well, salespeople, they're just slimy and they're rude. And I don't want to be any of those things. I, and, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of it is, is it's more of a fear of projecting those things onto a potential customer. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's this fear of, I don't want my customer to think that I'm being pushy or slimy or rude or all of those things. There's also a fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fear of hearing no, and there's, there's a fear that if we hear no, that that means a door is closed and that person is never going to buy from us. And of course, if that's the fear that we have, then it's a fear of, well, then I'm never going to be successful and I'm never going to get sales. And I'm just, and it's, it's this whole mm-hmm. cycle. So a lot of what I do ends up being in this mindset realm. And the bit, the best advice that I can offer you is that when you find yourself in a position where you feel as though, well, I, I can't ask this person to buy this because I just don't know that they have the money or I, I just, I just don't know. What you have to ask yourself is, is what I'm offering them actually going to help them? Is it mm-hmm. actually going to help solve their problem? Is what I'm offering them coming from a place of I'm supporting this person and I'm providing them the best option for them to get from point A to point B? Or am I just offering it to this person so that I could make money? Mm-hmm. And if you answer that it's just because you can make money, then you are being a slimy salesperson. But if you you can actually answer that I'm offering this to this person because I know that it will help them, then there is nothing wrong with what you're doing. And I think you just have to constantly be reminding yourself of that this person has come to you because they have a problem and you can't put a price on the, you have to think of it. So if we shift it, if we shift our thinking towards how much does this problem cost this person, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So then thinking about my solution, the cost of my solution is actually quite a bit more affordable than the cost of the problem. Yeah. And if we think of it in those terms, then all of a sudden, things start to feel better. Um, somebody gave a, a really good example at a, at a meeting I was at the other day about how a relationship counselor, they sell relationship advice or they sell yeah. um, relationship support. But what they are really doing is they're, they're solving the problem of potential divorce in couples. Mm-hmm. And if you think of the difference between the cost of divorce and the cost of relationship counseling, which one would you rather choose? Yeah, absolutely. The relationship. <laughs> if, if you want to be in the relationship. Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. And even if the cost, like initially of the counseling, you might think like, oh my gosh, I'm charging $1,000 for this couple to come and see me. Um, how much would it actually cost them if they didn't come and see you? as a counselor. So that's the way that we need to start looking at what it is that we're selling and thinking about how if I didn't ask this person to buy something, I am actually doing them a disservice. Because 
oftentimes people come to us with the expectation that you are going to ask them to buy something. They would be crazy to think that you weren't planning on charging them for the services that you're providing. And to be quite honest, like if you're a health professional and you're offering your services without asking me to pay for them, I'm questioning what kind of health professional you are, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, and again, like if you've got people coming to you wanting your services for free, they are not part of your niche. Yeah. So I know. And I, yeah, I think you made a few, well, um, a lot of amazing points, but a couple I want to actually touch on. Um, First thing is when we're talking about selling and that idea of rejection, I think it, I think it makes it an added level. So if I'm, if I'm a salesman, let's say selling cars, Mm -hmm. The myself selling cars isn't attached, I guess, to my worth because the mm. business is the cars. And so if I sell a car, it's like, oh, that's amazing. I sold a car. But if I don't sell a car, someone's not saying no to me personally. They're saying nope. no to the car. They're saying no to the the Ford or whatever they're buying, right? Yeah. And so for me personally, I'm like, my business is me. So I think there's a few layers that come with that because when you are a healthpreneur, you are an individual, you are a small business. I say when someone says no to me or my biggest thing is when somebody unsubscribes to a mail list Mm. and you know you can see those unsubscribes for anybody who's listening you can see so (laughs) just just know that um if you don't care that's fine but uh, but when I see that sometimes I take that to heart and I would say not sometimes all the time because I'm I'm putting that value on me I'm saying oh they said no to this because of me. And I think that's been my biggest struggle through being a a healthpreneur through these past few years is because I've always put the value on myself and I've never separated uh, the business or I've never even considered until maybe recently, but I've never ever considered the fact that it actually is something with them. It's actually Mm -hmm. something that, that, oh, they're not ready or they had this come up or they, and, and more and more when I, when I see this from a, patient perspective, if I say, oh, they canceled or they rescheduled or whatever, I realize that like 99.999% of the time, it's because of a them issue and it oh, literally it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. But I think that I put, especially with, so that's in a patient setting because I know the patient and I know why they're canceling or rescheduling and I can kind of justify that. But from a marketing sales perspective, I can't because I don't know why they're unsubscribing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, right? And so if I was selling that car, I would feel like I would, and I don't know because I've never done that, but I feel like I would be more able to let it go. But with myself, I can't let it go. So I feel like, uh, how do you separate yourself from your business in that way when you are your business? I think you, you kind of touched on it when you said that it's about them and it's not about you. Now, it's interesting that oftentimes when people say no, they don't actually say no, I'm not interested. What they do instead is they come up with some kind of excuse for the reason why. And I can guarantee you that if I ask you, what is the number one fear or sorry, what is the number one rejection that you receive from potential clients when you ask them to buy something? I'm going to ask you this, like, what is the number one thing? I I think the number one thing is probably cost cost. Yeah. So they'll say, I don't have the money. Mm -hmm. But instead, what they're actually saying is that because they do have the money. And I'm going to explain to you why. I had an example of somebody who was going to buy something from me. And they told me that they didn't have the money. And I was kind of like, okay. And I let it go. Mm -hmm. A few days later, that exact same person had posted something (laughs) on Instagram showing a product that they had just purchased that had cost triple than the the product that I was selling them. It had nothing (laughs) to do with the product that I was selling them. But I knew for a fact that it, it cost triple. And the reason that I knew is I actually asked them, how much did that cost you? Like out of curiosity. (laughs) And it was three times the price of of what it was that I was selling them. And the the difference is, is that it's not that they didn't have the money. It's that what I was selling that person 
was not a priority for them in their life right at this moment. Right. So I could go back and I could ask myself, did I provide them with enough information for them to see what, what it was that I was selling them as a priority? And if I can't with 100% confidence say that I gave them enough information for them to see this as a priority, then it was actually their no was because of me not providing them with enough substance for them to believe that what what I was providing them was going to solve their problem. Okay. So when we hear no, or when we hear it costs too much, or when we hear I don't have the time, what we're actually hearing is it's not a priority for me right now. And mm-hmm. there, there could be a couple of reasons for that. It could be 100% on them, but it could also be that we haven't done a good enough job explaining why this should be a priority for them. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes back to making sure that you are 100% confident being able to say what your, your service or your product, what problem that is solving for people and how you go about doing it. And that's where being so clear on your messaging is so important. So when people ask me like, well, Laura, what is it that you do? I say, well, I help people with what they're going to say and how they're going to say it to their potential customers through the entire sales process. That's what I do. But if I were to say, well, I help you do niching and I help you do... um, a sales plan and an action plan and then we do all this strategy and we do all this they've I've been lost yeah but but if I'm crystal clear on my message then people are more likely to understand what I'm going to do and understand how I'm going to help them solve their problems so yeah yeah I was just going to say so when we hear no we have to remind ourselves that no doesn't always mean no, never, not for, never, I'm never going to buy from you. What it usually means is no, not right now. It's not a priority for me. But what I challenge people to do is when they hear that no, is to actually try to determine, is this person actually saying no, that they don't have the money? Or are what they saying is, no, I don't have the money because I don't quite understand how you can help me. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you reframe it that way, then all of a sudden it's not as like objection, like it's not as a, as much of a rejection to you. Yeah. No, and I think that this actually brought up a few things. I think with my profession specifically, because that's all I can speak for, um, is when I first, I think when I first graduated, I got wrapped up in, uh, the. like I said, I was kind of th- I would say chucked into being a business owner and you don't really like I didn't know how to do anything I didn't even know how to get a a business number like that's where I was at so so I'm sitting here being like okay so I'm a doctor who now has to market my services so Mm -hmm. that puts kind of a weird spin on things because you are a medical professional and you're selling yourself and so those two things are really difficult. And I find things, um, I went into it very much like, oh, nobody's going to want to spend this money. No, Everyone's going to think it's too expensive. I know I can help people. I know what I do works. But I was so wrapped up in the cost of it all um, that it made it difficult for me to kind of separate the two. And I found myself, I, I don't anymore because it's taken me years to kind of go through and be like, okay, you know what? I know what's good for the patient. And I've learned never to assume things about people. Mm -mm. I think that at the beginning, I was assuming things. I would assume that – so I've – there's tests. There's tests for hormones. There's food sensitivity tests. You know about all the tests that I do. And I think that they're quite expensive. They can be. They are an investment depending on which test you're doing. If you're doing a GI test, it can be $500. If you're doing a hormone test, it can be $500. If you're doing a food sensitivity test, it can be like $300. And so the point I'm making here is sometimes they are completely indicated for a patient. And sometimes I believe 
from my clinical judgment that it is the best course of action. And so when I first graduated, I actually wouldn't even put those options on the table because I was scared that mm-hmm. by saying that this was the option, not that I don't think it's necessary. I 100% thought this, you know what, when I heard this case, this is the test that will give us the answers we need. But I was so scared to say it that I wouldn't end up doing the test. And I think at the end of the day, the patient may suffer because I didn't give them the options and I assumed that they wouldn't want to get it. And so I think that now over, I mean, it's taken me a few years, but now I kind of sit back and I tell my patients, okay, my job is to deliver you what the gold standard would be in terms of treatment, in terms of testing, supplements, no supplements. Like this is my job. I'm supposed to tell you what I think is going to work best. You are supposed to tell me if that works for you. Mm-hmm. And so that that is my job is to tell you that. So I feel like it's taken a while for me to say, no, I can't assume that this person doesn't want to spend this on this test. I can't assume that they don't want to take any supplements. I can't assume anything. I need to lay it out on the table and allow them to make their decision because yeah. I need to give like they're asking for my professional opinion and that's what it is. Yes, exactly. And One suggestion I would say is that if somebody is in a position and they're like, oh, I don't know, I I just, I don't think I really want to ask this person to spend this kind of money, ask yourself, why do you think you feel that way? And just sit Mm. with that question for a minute. Because if what comes up, again, like you said about that, those assumptions is, well, I know this, I know about this person, something that they just lost their job or they just, um, they just spent a lot of money on a renovation or whatever. And I know that they're not going to have the money or I'm worried that they're going to think something of me. If those are the answers that you're getting when you ask yourself why you think you're feeling that way, then that's all about you and nothing Mm -hmm. to do with them. And you need to do some real soul searching to try to figure mm-hmm. out how you can make yourself feel more confident about what it is that you're asking your customer to buy. Yeah. So, and I think yeah. that's the the most difficult thing in any sort of health sort of sector. And I think um, for naturopathic doctors and maybe similar health healthpreneurs in different um, areas, I feel when we were in school, I feel like we were hammered um, into our brains to think that I our services were expensive. I think that's kind of what I got from coming out of school. And I have a lot of colleagues who offer things like pay what you can and certain things are free. And, and for me, that's not something that makes sense for me because I um, love what I do and I love helping people, but I also do need to make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like a lot of the times I'm almost made to feel guilty. And I think that's what, that's the conundrum um, people in the health related field deal with is because Mm -hmm. you obviously want to help people. You have um, this, obviously you went to school for this many years because you wanted to help people. You wanted to make people's lives better. Uh, And I think people don't feel like they deserve to also make a living because they see other similar practitioners doing things maybe pro bono or um, this, that, and the other, and it maybe doesn't make sense for them. Yeah. And I, and I think you're, you're not the only ones that feel that way. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just a health, health industry um, Mm -hmm. thing, because like even myself going into coaching, trust me, there's often like when I first started, it's like, well, how much am I really worth? Like, yeah. what? how do you put value on what it is that I do? And I know that what I do helps people. And I know that what I do can help people in their business. But trust me, like when I get a business owner that comes to me and basically says that they're almost at rock bottom. And if what I am going to, if I can't help them, then their business isn't going to succeed. How do I put a price on that? Because there's that yeah. there's that temptation to go, okay, I want to help this person and I know they don't have money, but I'm going to help them. But it's like, well, no, because what I am doing is going to save their business and mm-hmm. is going to help them gain more business. I can't put guarantees on it, obviously, because it yeah. really is a matter of the person doing the work and the same as you in the health industry, right? You can give them the recommendations and you can show them the direction, but if they don't go home and do the work themselves, 
they're not going to get better. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think, the biggest challenge. And that's where, because what ends up, I think, happening is, is that it's, it's a, it's not a black and white solution for a lot of these types of problems that we're trying to solve. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of accountability on the customer or on the patient to, to hold up their end of the bargain, to be able to, to do what they say they're going to do. And I think there is a little bit of fear surrounding, well, am I actually going to be able to help these people? Um, we, we know that what we can provide can help them, but this specific person, am I actually going to be able to help that person? Um, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes comes into our psyche a little bit. I know I totally went off topic there, but. (laughs) No, I love it. I'm, I'm feeling so like inspired by this conversation. It's making me excited. Um, but I think all of those points are really amazing. I think a lot of people will resonate with, with all of that. But when we're talking about specifically selling and specifically marketing, um, so say I find my niche, how do you reach that target market? Like, what do you, what's the first step you would do? I know we could probably talk about this for a whole episode on its own, but just generally, like, how do you reach them? Okay. So if you are using social media, let's say social media tools, this is your Mm -hmm. best marketing tool by far. Um, and the reason that I say this is number one, it is free for the most part. Mm you do have the option of using sponsored ads and things like that. Um, But for the most part, it is free. Now, when you first get started on social media, you actually have to think about giving away a lot of free advice Mm -hmm. and free knowledge Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. your potential (laughs) clients. And the reason that you actually do this is because you have to remember what is your customer paying for. They are paying for you to work with them individually, to provide them with the tests, the diagnostics, and really hone in on what it is that is wrong with them and then help solve their problem. Now, what we have to do in our marketing is we need to get people to trust us. We need to get people to trust the fact that we know what we're talking about and that what we're going to ultimately sell them is going to solve their problem. Well, how do you get people to trust you? If all you're doing is throwing out pretty pictures and funny memes and all of that kind of thing, the way that we get our customers or potential customers to trust us is by actually giving them something tangible in the beginning stages. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this might be um, a workbook or, or a, a document that helps them through part of their problem. What I mm-hmm. suggest to my clients when they're dealing with the free side of their business is that I always say that you want to give away the why and the what. And mm-hmm. then the how, how this problem is getting solved is what they're paying for. So again, they're paying for that accountability. They're paying for the diagnostic tests. They're paying, in my case, for the the scripts that we're going to create together and and really diving in specifically to their business is what they're paying for. All the other stuff, I can tell you how to go out and make more sales or sorry, what to do to go out and make more sales. I can tell you um, all of those what's But the how comes when we actually work together. Okay. So when you think about your business, and again, like I know there could be a number of different people listening to this right now. But when you think about your business, you really want to start speaking to the problems that people that you're solving that people have. So painting the picture for your potential client about what their problem is. So think about maybe five people that could be your potential client and actually start speaking directly to them. And Mm -hmm. again, while you're like feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm only speaking to five people, what'll end up happening is is that you'll be speaking to a lot more people in the long run. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gone through social media and you scroll through and you come across something and you're like, oh my gosh, that message, like I think that person is speaking directly to me. They weren't. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, because they are so specific about what it is that they're trying to help you with, you became attracted to it because you had that exact problem. So you need to start by building trust with people. And there's something else that I we haven't talked about, but it's something called core values. And okay. the core values of your business really are part of that brand and part of that brand message. I don't do branding, but if you're not crystal clear again on what your core values are, like when somebody thinks of you, what are the key themes that come up when they think of you? So for me, it's sales, it's selling, it's education, it's family and being active, being active outside and, and mm-hmm. being outdoors and things like that. And I guarantee you that because you know me, you'd be mm-hmm. like, yep, those are you. Yeah. That's you to yeah. a T. So when you're yeah. sharing on social media, if you're sharing within those parameters, then what you're doing is you're building that trust with people. You're building that they they feel like they know who you are and they know what it is that you are offering them. And they're going to more likely come to want to work with you if they can resonate with those core values. And then if you tell them that you can help solve their problem. Okay. So (laughs) it's, yeah, it's, there is no answer. There is no right answer of like, how do we go about like finding people? But what I teach people is, is that because marketing is the passive side, you need to put it out there but then you need to actually speak with people and you need to get in their inboxes and you need to do things that are sometimes out of our comfort zone, like pick up the phone and actually have conversations with these potential clients. And if part of your inviting people to that next interaction with you doesn't include an actual phone call with them, then you need to work on your sales process <laughs> because okay, I feel like if we are not actually getting on the phone with people or on Zoom or whatever it is that you want to say, like Zoom chat or, or or messenger chat or whatever, because you need to get really clear about what their problem is and then explain to them how you're going to solve their specific problem. And you just okay. can't do that through text messages or emails no. or um, like Instagram posts. You just cannot do that through those through those ways. The only way that you can do that is by actually speaking to them. So okay. that is something that has to be included in everybody's sales process. And the way that you do that is that you ask for engagement. And then you get into the inboxes of the people who are engaging with you. And then you invite them to that next step. And the next step isn't going to be the first thing, be the phone call. But as you develop a relationship with these people through messaging and through conversation, eventually that next step will lead to, hey, why don't we hop on the phone and we can really dive into your specific problem and I can determine whether or not you and I make sense to work together. And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you have become a really trusted person because you've You've done what you you say you're going to do. You have that conversation with them and then they get to decide, yes, I'm going to work with you or no, I'm not right now. So, so when we're when we're talking about this, are we talking about uh, click funnels and email, Mailchimp, things like that? Is that what we're referring it can, to? It can certainly be part of that and that can sometimes be that next interaction with you. So, that's that asking people to join your mail list or asking people to um, add their email to your mail list and then receive something for free in return. Like we've all done that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get this free PDF yeah. file and join my mailing list or whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, that's all part of the sales process. And again, if you're not asking them to do something at the end of every single time that you're having that interaction to invite them to another interaction with you, then you're leaving that that conversation in limbo. So we always want to be thinking, and of course, you don't want to be like 
super pushy about it and rude yeah. about it. But yeah. it's just inviting them to learn more. That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to engage with you in another level. Inviting them to a webinar or inviting them to um, listen to this podcast. That is an invitation. Yeah. And every time they say yes to your invitation to, to interact with you again, they're getting closer to saying yes to working with you and actually paying for your services, if that makes any sense at all. I feel like yeah, absolutely. I feel like the challenge with explaining a lot of this stuff is that it's very individualized. The yeah. process in itself is the same for every single person in every single business, but it is very individualized depending on what your industry is. Yeah, absolutely. And I but I think these concepts are important to understand across the board. And I actually just had another um kind of specific questions about um emails and engagement and that sort of thing. And um so what do you think in terms of engagement? I've heard different different information from different people with respect to how many times someone needs to interact with you on average before they actually make that sale. Um, is there a certain number of, is there like a golden number of emails or posts or podcasts or whatever else somebody is choosing to interact with? Is Does there seem to be across the board a number or is it, does it always depend on the content and the person and the industry? Um, there are there are some statistics around this. Now, what I am going to say is that in the age of social media and consuming things online and consuming things through um, this passive marketing, what ends up happening is it does actually take customers a lot longer to decide to actually buy or purchase or spend their money on the service. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the reason is, is that we are actually spending a lot of time researching whether or not we trust this person or whether or not we actually yep. want to work with this person. And yep. the challenge here is, is that if you don't start taking these people off of the passive marketing train and get them into the active sales process, it could take them months, sometimes years before they actually buy from you. And in fact, some of them might not ever buy from you because you never mm -hmm. asked them to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think the faster that we can get people away from seeing us on social media and actually interacting with us one-on-one, -on -one, through a phone call, through um, an appointment, like a free 15-minute appointment or whatever it is, mm -hmm. the faster we can get people into that side of the process, the quicker we're going to get them to actually buy from us and the quicker we're going to help solve their problem. Yeah. So there is like a golden number that um, usually they say that it takes somewhere between five and 12 interactions with an individual before they actually buy. Now this is in the new like social media age. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the statistics actually like those numbers go down in our favor, the faster we can actually get talking to them and get engaging yeah. with them on a one-to-one -one basis. Because now that being said, the sale comes in the follow-up. If you're speaking with somebody and they're kind of interested in, in your services and you've maybe offered them um, the opportunity to learn more about what it is that you have to offer, you got to follow up. Most people are not going to buy after the first time that you ask them to. Sometimes it right. takes two, three, four, five times. But the thing to remember is, is that most salespeople only follow up with their prospects two times. But most mm. sales happen after the third or, or more follow-up. Okay. So even if that person isn't, like, keep following up with those people until they flat out say, no, I'm not right. ready for this or no, this isn't right for me. And the way that we do that, again, is by inviting them to more interactions with us, but being super clear about our intentions. If we are straight up with those people in the beginning and say, hey, look, I want to help you and I believe that I have services or products that can help you solve your problem. And here's the thing. 
I'm going to provide you with the information. And then once you're done gathering all the information, I'm actually going to ask you if you want to buy my product or service. Then they're like, okay, yeah, I want you to do that. That's how I want to be treated as a potential customer. And if you actually come at sales from that angle, it doesn't feel as salesy because you've already told them that you're going to ask them to buy. Yeah. I feel like when I heard you say that though, I felt like a little bit cringy inside. Yeah, like yeah. from my perspective, like I'm like, oh my God, how would I ever do that? Like how am I going to – you know what I mean? Like being that straight up about, yeah. about and that I'm, guy. I'm being super straight up here. Now yeah. that's yeah. where when people work with me, that's what I do is I help you come up with that language around mm-hmm. how to ask for these things and how to make it clear of your intentions. And I think, I think of it when I, when I parent my children, actually, um, it's the hardest sale that you're ever going to make is trying to get your kids to do something. Um, but, but when we think about like what I do with my kids is I tell them, okay, this is what we're doing now. And then we're going to go into the car. And then we're going to drive to school and then I'm going to drop you off at school and you're going to go inside. They know exactly what's happening next. And if we talk to our prospective customers in that same way, then they're not surprised by the fact that you're going to actually ask them to buy something. Yeah. And, And if you think of negative sales conversations that you've had with people, it's likely because you felt duped into something. Yeah. So I think when we set the intentions and we're, again, if we're super clear about what it is that we're offering, how we're going to do it, then people are like, okay, yeah, I trust this person. She did what she said she's going to do. And I shouldn't be surprised that she's asking me to buy something from her because she told me that she's going to ask. So yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it's, it's, it, again, it takes time to change our mindset around those things. Um, but I think once you get that mindset changed, you won't turn back because you'll see that, yeah, this is the way that I have to run my business. I have to be so clear about my intentions of where we're going with the next step of every single one of these interactions that we're having together. Yeah. And I think it is, I think that the, you are right when you say the consumer does appreciate that. And I think that if we just kind of get over our own fears, then that can make it a little bit easier to actually do that. Absolutely. Um, so I've, thank you for this. I've been, I feel so inspired by this conversation. I've learned so much, so I really appreciate it. But I wanted to ask you one more question before sure. we sign off. Um, from your, I guess, from your experience or your opinion, what do you feel like the best medium? I mean, in this social media world, we have Facebook Live, we have Instagram Live, we have posts on both Facebook and Instagram, we have email, we have phone. What do you What do you like, um, and what do you see being the best medium of getting those interactions and getting the best quality interactions with potential customers? Okay, this is a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> we can make it short and maybe do it on another yeah. time, but um, I didn't realize it was loaded. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? Honestly, I, I'm going to throw it back to the people and you got to do what feels best for you. You got, you have to do what you feel like is the best way to get your information across. For me, I love doing video. I love Mm -hmm. engaging with people through video. I feel as though they get an opportunity to see my face, to see who I am Mm -hmm. and understand who I am. And I just, it's easier for me to get a message across. So I use a lot of video. I use Instagram stories. I use Facebook stories. But I also see the value in using things like Facebook and Facebook groups to have deeper engaging conversations. Now, I'm the type of person that I ask for a lot of interaction on platforms like Instagram stories. And then what I do is I take those interactions off of social media. I invite Mm -hmm. people to have phone calls with me. I invite people to sit down and have coffee with me, whatever it is. And then once I get it off of social media, I actually ask my customer, what is their favorite way 
to interact with me. Mm, okay. And then I choose the tool based on what they say. And that's something that you could actually ask your your current customers is say, mm-hmm. what is your favorite way to consume information? Some people love Instagram. Some people love Facebook. Some people love YouTube. Mm-hmm. You need to be putting yourself in as many places as you can possibly handle. But if you're, you're, I guess the best advice that I can give is that if you feel like you're overwhelmed by too much on social media or too many tools, to pick one. To pick mm-hmm. the one that you can give your all to and be the best version of what it is that you're trying to offer to your customers. I think that's amazing advice if we're just like putting it in a like nicely wrapped present with a bow Um, because we could probably go on and on. Thank you so much for doing this. I think that a lot of people will find value and I know I found value because this is something, like I said, I know nothing about and I think a lot of people who are self-employed, entrepreneurs, whatever field that they're in also probably know nothing about at the beginning. So I appreciate you hopping on um, and – Tell everybody how they can reach you, find you, get more information, all of those sorts of things. Absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Skelmos. Um, That's spelled S as in Sam, K-J-E-L-M-O-S-E. And you can get me on, on Facebook at Sales Strategy with Laura Skelmos. And if you're not sure how to spell that, honestly, just... I'll check, put it in the show notes. Check it. Check the show notes. Um, <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like send me a DM. I I try really hard that for every new follower that I send off a DM and and say hello to introduce myself. Um, I really want to engage with people and I want to help people solve their problems. If you're sitting here and you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, you know what, I want to find out what it looks like to actually work with some with with Laura, um, as in me, not you. <laughs> um, send me a message right away, and we can set up a call, a free call that you and I can talk about what you're you're experiencing in your business and come up with a plan for how we can work forward together to create some sales success for you. Amazing. Thank you very much. And I will put, like I said, I'll put all the information in the show notes. And for those listening, thank you for listening. We will catch you next time. Bye.